podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your World Cup Daily. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carol Matchett. How are you, sir? Cold. <laughs> yes, it is a very cold Wednesday morning as we podcast to you. Minus three where I am, minus 14 where Guy is, and probably about the same as where I am where Carl is. So uh, we are here to discuss last night's game between Argentina and Croatia and tonight's game between France and Morocco. Carl Matchett, Argentina were... I think absolutely outstanding last night and won 3 0, a Lionel Messi penalty, and two goals from Julian Alvarez, smacking Croatia's bottom and sending them home, ending their dream and likely ending this era of Croatian football. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I thought it was a very, very, very good setup from Argentina. Uh, I think the game panned out in terms of open play pretty much as I expected. Lots of possession for Croatia, lots of um, intense defensive work from Argentina, but in really, really comfortable ways. I think the midfield worked so hard that they made it very comfortable for the rest of the team. Um, probably include Alvarez in that as well, to be fair, because he did get through a good amount of work. Mm. But basically the setup and where Argentina worked in the first half in particular, allowed them to keep Croatia exactly where they wanted them. And, they, you know, we know what Croatia are in attack. They don't really have too much in the way of real individual quality, real individual uh, creativity. So it became very, very tricky for them to make anything at all. And Argentina do have that in attack. So I think they knew very, very well that they were going to get chances. One, because there would be moments that they could react quicker than Croatia's midfield did defensively. And two, because their attackers individually are better than Croatia's defenders. Um, obviously, a couple of direct times leading to the goals proved exactly that. But moreover, I think this was just a better setup for Argentina for the game, whereas Croatia just played the way that they have done all the way through the tournament. And it's been fine for them. You know, it's, it's allowed them, obviously, to get very, very deep into the World Cup again. But in a game where they came up against a tricky situation, they just had nothing else. Um, I'll talk a little bit more in depth about that midfield and a couple of individuals in that battle as we go on. But basically, I thought Argentina played a perfect tactical game. Yeah, I would 100% agree. And I think we need to give Lionel Scaloni his flowers here. Argentina had played a 4-3-3 throughout the tournament. They face the Netherlands in the quarterfinals and he changes things up and they go to a back three system. In this game... He goes to a 4-4-2 and it's a flat four out of possession. 
and then kind of like a skewed box type of thing in possession. Rodrigo de Paul plays from the right. Alexis McAllister plays from the left. And Leandro Paredes comes into midfield next to Enzo Fernandez. You're not bringing in a dogged ball winner when you add Leandro Paredes to your team. You're bringing in a player with very good positional sense. But predominantly, you're bringing in more control. You're bringing in more ability to retain possession, and you're bringing in more ability to break the lines. And they seemed happy to allow Croatia to have the ball, knowing that when they got it back in Paredes and Enzo Fernandez, they had two players who could break that Croatian midfield with a pass, and two more in Rodrigo de Paul and Alexis McAllister that are more, more than happy to receive the ball in any area of the pitch, in any situation. And they just... They just overworked Croatia. And I thought Alvarez, it was a very Carlos Tevez-esque hmm. performance from him. And that's who he reminds me of. City fans, when they signed him, thought, oh, we've signed an Aguero regen. And from having watched him play at River Plate, I, I couldn't understand the Aguero comparisons other than the fact that he's kind of short and has dark hair. He plays much more like Carlos Tevez. And that's the ideal partner for Messi. Someone that will run selflessly, who'll press centre-backs endlessly, who'll make those movements into the channel, who can drop off, take the ball to feet, has good physical posture, can hold defenders off and bring others into the game. I thought basically everything Argentina did last night was excellent. And I want to give particular mention to the two full-backs. Now, Molina, we've credited a number of times. I think he's had a very good World Cup. But I thought last night Tagliafico had an excellent game. I thought he dealt well with Juranovic's raids from deep. Pasalic was a non-factor on the ball. And as the game wore on, he became a real outlet for Argentina down that left and created some good opportunities. And it must be said, 3-0 is a good reflection of the game. But if Argentina had scored a couple more goals, I don't think it would have been seen as a fluke. They opened Croatia up on more than just the three occasions that they score. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I, I think they played it brilliantly. And if you want to flip it around, it's a disappointment from the Croatia side that they couldn't do anything else. Not that they didn't have another starting plan for the match, but that they had no real um, in-game change of the momentum. They didn't really have anything to stop where Argentina were getting behind them. Um, they went to a you know a four four two four four two four sort of system for like the last uh, thirty five minutes or so when they took Brozovic off, but it didn't actually change the way that they were building up. What they actually got then was uh, Nikola Vlasic trying to drop back as much as he could to make it three in midfield again. Still, there was still no real quick interplay up front. There was still no getting by either of the fullbacks who did really well. Um, no, well. Oh my God, I genuinely find it difficult at the minute to split him and Akraf Hakimi as to who's been the better right back. Yeah. Uh, World Cup. I think he's just been so, so good. The longer it's gone on, the better he's got. Um, his run where he didn't actually touch the ball for, for the, um, Alvarez goal last night was, that was something special. That was like a proper, I'm only doing this for the team because this is what the team needs kind of run. And it was absolutely brilliant. Um, but yep, Taliafico, I think to be fair, Speaking at work last night, um, one of them mentioned like Taliafico in general play, probably better as Argentina's left back in a four for defensive 
resilience. Whereas if they're playing with wing backs, you probably would want Acuna there rather than Darius. for the outlet, yeah. Yeah, but like you say, Dario Fico was much improved in terms of his position and taken up in the final third last night, leading the counter attack, given as an outlet. So probably put himself back in the in the consideration at the very mm. least for the final. I don't think it's going to be cut and dried. I think it might depend on the system Scaloni opts to use, uh, and that's the other thing about Scaloni at the World Cup. I don't I don't think there's been any other. Managers change systems as much as he has now at the World and, Cup, and as effectively as he has as well. Yeah, very much that. It's not just changing for the sake of trying something new. It has been a direct response to how he wants his team to set up off the ball first, and then have the obviously, obviously the capability still to attack in different ways. I, I think personally, putting what's basically been two up front now for, for the last couple of games has been really, really key for them. Mm. Um, left. Messi very close to Alvarez most of the time and that is where you're going to get more out of his partner but then allow him to do his bits where he wants uh, I think that's been a really important change yeah I agree and I think it allows them to pack one more behind the ball makes them much harder to break down we saw them get you know rocky and and a little bit wobbly against uh, Australia we saw them properly on the ropes against the Dutch and last night, when they went 2-0 up, we went 2 up early last night, 39 minutes in. And you, you kind of, well, I don't know about you, I was kind of wondering, is 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 it going to happen again now? Because they're, they're 2 up early in this game. Is it going to be a case where we see Croatia bombard them in the second half? And it just wasn't. I mean, Croatia never bombarded them at any point. They had a couple of balls into the box and that was about it. Um, so we should we should mention the goals. Messi scores on 34 minutes from the penalty spot. It's a brilliant ball from Enzo Fernandez through to Alvarez, and you immediately think he has to be offside then. But oh no, Dejan Lovren is playing everybody onside because he's heading off to some sort of right wing bigot movement over by the right corner flag. What was he doing there? I like, have no idea yeah. what he was doing. He's 10 yards deeper, but he's not with his man. He's like no. in the channel and miles away from him. It's... He doesn't even look like he's looking at him. There he is. So Alvarez runs on. He knocks the ball past um, past uh, Levakovic. And Levakovic just sort of clatters into him now. It's, it's, it's an accidental uh, collision from the goalkeeper's point of view. But... I can't see how anyone could argue that this wasn't a penalty. And yet Gary Neville, Ian Wright and Roy Keane, Roy Keane probably because he enjoys violence and Neville and Wright, I assume because of some England versus Argentina rivalry, spent most of the first half arguing with Peter or the first, the the halftime break, arguing with Peter Walton that this wasn't a penalty. Yeah, it was very, very odd. And I'll be perfectly honest, those are still the only three people I've heard who said that wasn't a penalty. Yeah. I'm just happy to blaze past that. It was. It was clearly a pen. Game over. Yeah, 100%. Five minutes later, Croatia have a corner. The ball gets cleared to Alvarez in his own half. And he just starts running. And he doesn't really do a whole lot else other than run. His control of the ball is not particularly good on this run. Croatia have at least two, possibly three great options to take the ball off him. Borna Sosa, who I think was at fault for the Neymar goal, 
in the game against Brazil with, with just weak, poor defending, with some of the weakest defending you'll ever see. Now, whether he was scared of giving away a penalty or not, I don't know. But this was appalling. And it was no surprise when he got hooked quite early. Alvarez bundles his way through, bundles his way through, and then knocks it past the goalkeeper to make it 2-0. Um, Sosa, before that goal went in, had had two moments up the other end of the pitch, attacking moments, where he did the swingiest swinger of all swinging right boots, trying to either cross the ball or shoot. And it's quite clear, yeah, fair play for having a go, but he doesn't have a right foot. You can see by the no. way he's standing the way he shaped his boot, the way he sort of just put it in the air and hoped for some contact with the ball. And then he's done the exact same thing here with the defending. That's what he's that's what he's tried to do is clear it with his right foot. And his, his balance is all wrong, his coordination's all wrong. And obviously the touch on the ball was barely anything at all. It was one of my favourite straight line runs goals. You can see these compilations on YouTube or Twitter if you like them. Just find these old random goals where people pick up the ball and it looks like they've run a long way or done a lot because they go past a lot of defenders. But actually all they do is run in a straight line mm. and end up scoring. And this was another addition to that collection. Yeah, just proper bustly runs. <laughs> Roy Keane was delighted with this goal. He loved this goal. Then there is a moment of absolute genius for the third goal. Messi picks the ball up on the halfway line and... As he goes to take on Guardiol, I'm going to hammer him again here. Lovren is about three yards behind Guardiol. And Lovren drops off. You would think, you would think he drops off to pick up Alvarez. So Messi takes on Guardiol and sends him one way, goes back the other, and then goes back the other way and dances into the box. And it's a very messy move and it's very fucking pretty. And he feeds it back to Alvarez, and Lovren is just nowhere to be seen. He's just evaporated into thin air. It is very Dejan. It is just appalling defending. Gvardiol will be the one that people remember because he's the one Messi rinsed, but his buddy did him no help at all. And Alvarez has a very, very simple finish. He won't score two easier finishes than the two goals he gets last night, but the effort he puts in and the effort Messi put in on that goal, they're both... This is a special goal because of what Messi did, but Alvarez's work ethic is what gets him the two goals. It's not any great footballing ability. It's a desire and a, an appetite for work. Yeah, I, I, thought, I thought it was excellent. I mean, Lovren, to be fair to him, did a really, really good job of making sure that nobody could just stand on the post and tap it in. Other than that, nothing, nothing, I'm afraid. That was so, so unaware. What's he doing? He's cutting off a ball to where nobody is. He's cutting off a ball to where the goalkeeper could pick up anyway. He's cutting off nothing other than if Messi decided he's he wants to. He's cutting off the goalkeeper's himself. line of sight as well. Rubbish. <laughs> the, the, the thing is that not once did he look. That's what really annoyed me. And to bring the others in as well, none of the midfielders tracked that run no. either because he's run past two. He's run off Lovren, but then run past two more. And then just waits in the right area, really. And it's it's still a good cutback because everyone's then crowding towards Messi, trying to, you know, stop the run, get behind Gradiol, block off a cutback. And he still puts it, I think, almost through one player's legs. Like So 
the fact that it was a very, very good run and assist from Messi, and it still doesn't rank in his top, like, probably 50 assists or something like that, says mm. quite a lot about him, to be fair. Um, I just want to, before we move on from this, I just want to quickly touch on that midfield. I really liked what Scaloni did, basically from that flat 4-4-2 starter. They went basically 2v1 every single time that one of the Croatian midfielders got the ball. And it was a case of, you know, if it's with, let's say, Modric to start with, then it would be Alexis and Enzo sort of converge on him as a two and force him. They weren't really getting too much in terms of tackling or, you know, trying to really, really press. It was just about guarding what areas they were playing in, forcing them basically to go square or to go back. and they were Making passing. him make the pass they wanted him to make. Yeah, that's all it really was. It was mm. just shepherding them into not too much threatening areas. And like in fairness, Modric didn't actually get as much of the ball as you might expect when Croatia had like 60% possession, to be honest. Um, they did a really, really good job of making him just shuffle it sideways. And then the next one would go in and it would be 2v1 again. So if it went, let's say, central to Brozovic, then uh, Enzo would already be central and Paredes would step out and it would be those two on him and it would have to go again. And that's what they kept doing all that first half. It was mm. really, really good. Just little 10, 15-yard shuttle runs for one person at a time so that they were always, always 2v1. And then you could see a little bit more. McAllister was sort of drifting in field to that 10 sort of position. And then out of possession, it would be maybe a, almost a 4-3-2-1 because Messi would drop in a tiny bit, just walking about, but cutting off a passing lane. It was really, really well worked. And the only one of Croatia who could bypass this, and I think this was his best game of the tournament last night, was Kovacic. And I'm not going to go too far into this because people probably just think that I, you know, just sat quietly at home on the sofa with some some questionable postures while watching Mateo Kovacic last night. But I thought he was absolutely fucking exceptional. Same. He was he was able to get through like two, three challenges and break their midfield line a couple of times in the first. And every half, time he picked the ball, ball up, they tried to foul him, and yeah. he just burst through fouls. It's not like he's going through normal tackles. They're going in to take him down and he's just bouncing off them. The kid's an animal. Yeah, he was the only one who had anything from from Croatia's entire team, I would say, last night. Like, I don't think anybody made as many sort of chance sets up as him. Um, He was the one carrying the ball. Like I say, he was brought down for free kicks. He was absolutely sensational last night. I think that was his best performance in a very good World Cup. So Argentina threw... I think it's fair to say that when they lost to Saudi Arabia, everybody kind of collectively wrote them off. Mm. But here they are, and they seem to be getting better by the game. Scaloni, to his credit, I think has managed this World Cup brilliantly. And it's not just the tactical changes, it's the individual changes. Tagliafico started the World Cup badly. He brought in Acuna. Latour Martinez was thinking the place up. He brought in Julian Alvarez. The midfield wasn't working. He put Enzo Fernandez, who had, I think, two caps prior to this World Cup, into his midfield. He brought Alexis McAllister into his midfield. He dropped Angel Di Maria, a legendary figure in Argentine football. He has made every single big decision he needed to make, and he's made them all right. And I think if there's a coach of the tournament, regardless of who wins it at this point, this is your coach of the tournament because this is the guy who's made all the big decisions and gotten them all pretty much bang on. 
Yeah, I can't agree at all, uh, disagree at all. He's he's reacted very very well. He's made the the calls which fixed problems in the team rather than just you know making changes because they lost or something like that. Um, it's also been a very again which I mentioned yesterday uh, about a few different teams. It's been a really good example of creating a group dynamic in which everybody is working for each other. The work rate yesterday was just beyond exceptional and it was necessary for that game. And then you saw the other side of his management, which creates that buy-in and that was given people who haven't really had a chance at the World Cup game time. Yeah. Correa came on, Juan Foyt came on. We saw Ezekiel Palacios came on. He only played, I think, once up until now. So, you know, things like this, Dybala, he also came on as well. That was his first time at the World Cup. So this is like a reward for effort, if you like. It's it's keeping people involved and keeping them invested and showing you'll be needed at specific times and specific matches and we need you to be ready sort of thing. So everybody has to be working that hard. I'm, I'm not sure other than maybe Franco Armani and Jerome Marulli, the goalkeepers, I think everyone must have played now uh, for Argentina across this World Cup, all the outfielders. So mm. it's been a very, very good display of what to do at tournaments from him. Yeah, and I mean, his his record with the national team is is outstanding. What's that one defeat in 40-something games now at this point? He's lost five of 56, all told. So he lost four of the first 10 and has then been outstanding since in terms of in terms of win-loss. You can't ask for much more. And he's not the sexiest manager to turn. He's not a big name, but he's very adaptable. And like you said, he's he's getting getting the team to buy in and he's getting the big decisions right. So credit to him. I loved last night's performance because there was a, a lot of uh, Diego Simeone-esque um, bastardry about the midfield, about, you know, you're not going to go by us because we're going to foul you and we're going to make you play where we want you to play and you're going to get fuck all. So uh, shout out to Christian Romero, who really, really should have been booked about 10 minutes in got away with it and just continued to kick the life out of every Croatian that came near him. I thought it was magnificent. Uh, So Argentina are through to Sunday's final. Croatia will go and play on Saturday in the third and fourth place playoff. Um, They'll play to win. They'll play for pride because, I mean, look, you finished third of the World Cup. It's a hell of an achievement regardless of who you are. And if you're a country with four million people, fair play. We will find out tonight who will play Argentina and who will drop into that third and fourth place playoff when France take on Morocco. Carl, France came into this World Cup as favourite or joint favourite along with Brazil. They got through their group without much fuss. They hammered Australia. They beat Denmark. They did lose to Tunisia in a game in which they rotated heavily. Steve Mandanda, who's 90, played in goal. Uh, from there, they knocked out Poland, then they knocked out England, and here we are. Morocco came the hard way to this point. They drew with Croatia, they beat Belgium, they beat Canada, they took on Spain, dragged them to penalties, and showed bigger cojones. They took on Portugal, got themselves a goal, and said, come and beat us, and Portugal weren't up to the task. This Moroccan team is built on an outstanding defensive structure, a structure that has had to withstand the fact that they lost Masraoui and Agard for the last game. 
They lost Sice midway through the last game. They've got Amrabat playing with pain-killing injections in his back. And they've got a right-back in Ashraf Hakimi who has just decided he's the best right-back on the planet and dare anybody tell him otherwise. But it's not just them. It's a now he in midfield. It's Buffal as, as an outlet on the left. It's Zayic as an outlet on the right. It's Ennaziri up front. It's Bono and Gold. The whole team have been absolutely tremendous. And there's a togetherness here that's very similar to what we saw from Argentina last night. But without that one little magic man that just makes everything click. They have found a way to make this click, though, Carl. They are unbeaten in the tournament, unlike France, and they have not conceded a goal by an opposition player yet, yeah. which is just staggering. And it's not just that they haven't conceded a goal. like They went to a penalty shootout, and none of the opposition players scored a goal in that, which is ridiculous. Yeah, um, it's been unbelievable effort from them already. To be honest, it's been well, it's been history making, not just for themselves, but you know, furthering Africa's footballing history and heritage at the World Cup as well. They they've done not just more than was expected of them, but more than was thought possible of them. I would say already by getting to this point. Um, I don't honestly know what more to say about Morocco. It's been such a bodies on the line. Uh, experience from watching them in the knockouts but they've also not just done that they've been so committed to getting people forward at different times and making sure that they can have that outlet and making sure that they attack in matches as well it's not just we're defending and getting to penalties it's not just let's say like Croatia like they don't have um, great attacking intent and I think Croatia were far more happy to just not score a goal than Morocco have been I think Croatia were perfectly keen to just have the ball bide their time and see if something happens and if it does cool we'll try and score a goal if not we're confident that we got the stamina to go to extra time that we've got the mentality to go to penalties if we need to i think this morocco team has been more adventurous and attack minded than morocco uh, sorry than croatia were for example um but at the same time they they defend in a very different way they don't just defend by having the ball it is much more about energy and diligence and organization and making sure you're doing your job and trying to do the job of the person next to you as well and helping them out. It's been a, unquestionably the biggest team effort at the World Cup. Without doubt, without doubt. And what they've done here is they've had a real next man up type of mentality. So during their games, you'll often see the number eight swapped out, two new players come in, and the level doesn't drop, the intensity doesn't drop, the work rate doesn't drop, you'll see one, often both of the wingers drop out of the team. And what happens is the quality goes away, but there's more work put in. And in defence, I mean, all you need to do is look at that last game that they played. Up against Portugal, Masraoui, who's been excellent in this tournament, maybe the best left-back in the tournament, out. Agard, who had a real case for being the best centre-back in the tournament, out. But Allah comes in at left-back and Yamak comes in at centre-back. And they just carry on regardless. And then during the game, Romain Seiss gets injured and Ashraf Dari comes on and the level doesn't drop, the work rate doesn't drop, the intensity doesn't drop. They just carry on regardless because they've got a real belief in themselves in how they've prepared, in the system that their manager has put them out to play in. 
And like you said, they do have that little bit of quality going forward. And in Yusuf and Naziri, they have a real goal threat. Now, he's come into the tournament in iffy form, but we've seen him in the past for Sevilla be a very, very good number nine. And the goal he got against Portugal, I'm not sure I've seen a human being who's not an NBA player jump that high. Like that was, he was he was head and shoulders above everybody. Yeah, like, I mean, I think that there's been a, a huge number of very impressive individual displays within this team component. Like, I, I think nearly everybody has played at their maximum or, or with some particular cases even above it. Uh, like, no, if I get, I, I think had a really good season last year. I think he's a very good defender. So he's played, let's say, at the level that I expect him to. Mm. But he's done it while injured. He was injured before this World Cup. Yeah. Don't don't take any of that away from the fact that he's injured now is probably due to the fact that he was already injured before and now he just can't do it anymore. Um, Roman Sace has played above his level here. Of the level that yeah. I've watched him for half a dozen years, this is the most consistent. Or was he most- being dragged down by Connor Cody? <laughs> and Willie Bobby. And Willie Bobby, yeah. It's actually possible, actually, yeah, now thinking about it now. But like, he, the partnership that they had, I've said this a million times, partnership is everything. And those two were sensational. And they covered for each other and they did bodies on the line for each other and they were like smothering grenades for each other all the way through this tournament. It was brilliant to watch. But that's been the case all over the pitch. Like, Amrabat. I think is has been really, really good most of the time. But I also think that he's getting a bit more attention than, let's say, Unahi in midfield because, one, people are a bit more familiar with the name and maybe he plays for a bit bigger club or maybe he's a bit more recognisable name because there's been another Amrabat. I'm not really sure what the story is, but I don't think there's actually too much between those two, for example. I think I Amrabat's think been excellent, don't get me wrong. But I just think yeah, others... Yeah, but Unahi has been... Yeah. He, he he might be like the one of the breakout stars of the term. Alvarez is probably taking that mantle because he just scored two goals in the semi-final. But Unahi from game one onwards has been for a player that I think most people wouldn't have been all that familiar when he plays for Angers. He's only 22. He's he's still a pup. He has been like his work rate is unbelievable. And you're right about. The fact that the Amrabat name is is what's familiar because I've seen people say, "Oh, I really liked Amrabat when he played for Watford." <laughs> this is brother, wasn't him? Yes, his brother's thirty-five and retired. Well, he's not retired. He's playing club football. He's retired from national team football. I, I bet he regrets retiring three years ago from the national team. Yeah, it's been um, it's been an, an excellent thing. But, 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 leaving aside even the fact that it's France, we haven't even spoken about yet. And I think that that's fair because everybody knows at this point who France are, who they are, yeah. what they're going to do and how they're going to line up, barring any injuries. Uh, and on that point, Upamecano and Rabiot were the two who missed training on semi-final day number one. So whether they are fine and play or not, we'll see. But they're the only two likely changes. Upamecano missing out might not be a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, it depends who they put in instead. Um, but Morocco... I think they might be missing too many this time. Mm. Like we're looking at three who would definitely be starting, one who's played a massive role and another off the bench who lets them continue that energy and effort. Give me the list. Give me the list of who's missing. 
So Zagad and Saïs are very, very likely both out from centre-back. Mazraoui, well, he didn't play the, the quarter-final because of a hip flexor injury. So whether you can recover from that in two, three days, we'll see. But that's three out of the four starting defenders if he doesn't play. Sabiri is a doubt as well, who's been um, obviously important in midfield for them. And Wally Chidera was sent off in the last game. Yeah. That is that is rough. That is very, very rough. It feels like they need one of the centre-backs to play just to have some familiarity, some continuity in there. Uh, Meek played quite well. Against, he did. Uh, no, he did. Very, Absolutely. Very but again, it is that continuity and the partnerships and the understanding and everything else. I mean, oh, don't get me wrong, a place in the World Cup final is a pretty good motivator for people to be committed. Uh, I don't think that Morocco. Oh, these boys are going to be like that. These boys are going to work their asses off. It's yeah. just about whether or not they have the required quality. But look, it, it also comes down to how their opponents play. And if France have an off day, mm-hmm. even a reduced Morocco team, not a, you know, a full strength Morocco team, I think push France regardless because look what they've done in the competition. They they deserve that respect. But even if they if they're reduced to, you know, only having seven of their or, or eight of their first choice starters, I still think they can give France a really tough game if France aren't 100% on it. And the French looked a little bit tired against England. And if there's no Rabiot, I think that's a big blow. Now, they do have said they could bring Kamavinga in there, though he hasn't played a lot in this tournament. I think his only, perform- only appearance came at left back, but he is a like for like for Rabio. And if Upa Meccano's out, they bring in Ibu and that's actually an upgrade. And mm-hmm. and they might have been considering Ibu anyway, because of the aerial threat of En Naziri and how poor Upa Meccano was against England. I mean Harry Kane absolutely rinsed that boy, gave him a lesson. So France likely to be you know, closer to their full strength 11. It's it's such a blow for Morocco if they're missing three or four, plus the suspension. But, I mean, what they've done in this tournament, like, in any other tournament, Croatia getting to the semi-final, we would have gone, wow, like, incredible. But they got to the final last time out. Mm. For Morocco to do this is just, it's incredible. I don't think either of us had them coming out of the group. I wouldn't imagine anyone had Croatia. I, I wouldn't imagine anybody would have said, if you'd said to anybody you met before the tournament, there will be one group that produces two semi finalists. I would nearly, I'd bet nearly everything I have that nobody would have looked and gone, yeah, it'll be Croatia and Morocco. They'll get the semi finals. But they've just overcome every single. Opponent bumping the road, injury, whatever. And they've done it without losing a step. They just continually plow on and plow on and plow on. And like I said, like you look at the teams they've beaten, they beat Belgium, who, yeah, it turned out they weren't all that good. But maybe we we, we need to reassess and maybe they weren't as disastrous as we thought because the two teams that finished above them got to the semifinals. They beat Spain. And they beat Portugal, and it's a super talented Portugal team. A team that had just beaten Switzerland 6-1. And these 
these lads found a way to win those games. And I'm not prepared to write them off against France just because it's France. I do think France will win the game, but I think it's going to be a hell of a battle. Yeah, unquestionably so. And, and let's not overlook the fact as well that off the pitch will be the same. Um, Morocco's fans have been bordering on insane in how dominant yes. they've been in the stadiums. And obviously the the constant support has been a theme for, I would say, mostly the African and South American nations rather than, let's say, the European nations. For the nations sake of the football. final having a great atmosphere, I think you want Argentina-Morocco for the <laughs> yeah. atmosphere. Yeah, because yeah. it would be it would be bonkers, like. So I believe the um, Moroccan. I haven't double checked to make sure this is absolutely true. It's just something I read yesterday. The Moroccan FA have given out like tens of thousands of free tickets, basically, if people are able to travel over for the game for for tonight for the semi final. Uh, if that's the case, you can expect it will be raucous and it will be very very Morocco heavy. Mm. And that is it's not an equalizer, but definitely it's a it's a big thing, and it's great for the World Cup as well. Obviously, in terms of making it a spectacle um so I, I think that it will be a a very difficult encounter for france i'm i like you I, i'm sticking with france to win the game but i've said france all the way through to win the world cup i'm not going to change now that they're in the semi-finals but it, it isn't going to be easy i think this will be in its own way just as difficult as them playing england it'll be a different type of difficult it won't be a team who are as good as them but it'll be a, a much bigger fight for them. Yeah, I think it'll be more difficult because I think I think there's a stronger mentality in that Morocco team. England have more talent without question, but I just these lads have have a different a different mindset. And um, I would imagine, Carl, Morocco in this game might be the most supported team we have ever seen in a World Cup game because not only will they have all of Morocco behind them, they'll have most of Africa behind them. Not only will they have most of Africa behind them, they'll have all of the Arab world behind them. And not only will they have all of the Arab world, but they'll have pretty much every Muslim walking the face of the earth behind them tonight because that's what they represent. They represent a part of the world that have never been here before, that have never done this before. No African team, no Arab team and no predominantly Muslim country have ever gotten to a World Cup semi-final. And Morocco have done it in the toughest way, because it was an absolute murderous row of teams they had to get through, mm. but here they are. And if France aren't 100% on their game, Morocco will overwhelm them. They will swarm them, they will bully them, and they'll outwork them. Now, France will always have that one killer on the left wing who can just change a game in a moment. And we saw Kyle Walker get fawned over for not actually doing a whole lot against Mbappe other than having an awful lot of help. But Mbappe was the one who created the first goal by cutting in from the left into the centre and dragging some of the defenders with him. All while Kyle Walker, by the way, was out of position. And the one time Mbappe took Walker on 1v1, he absolutely rinsed them and created a really good chance for Usman Dembele. If there is a right-back who's well-prepared to match up with Kylian Mbappe, it's his club teammate, Ashraf Hakimi, who can match him for speed, who can match him for power, who knows him inside out and trains against him every day. So that's where this game, I think, will come down to. Because Hakimi's not going to get, or he's not going to want, 
two other lads coming to help. He might get one, but he's not going to want the whole team skewing across. And Morocco won't commit their whole team to skew across to stop one player. They'll stop the space that he'll want to move into rather than try and check him individually. It's going to be a very good game. I think it's going to be a tight game. I think it's going to be a much tighter game than what we witnessed last night. I'm going to say France win. But I think Morocco gives them a scare. I'm going to go 2-1 France. I've been tempted to go 1-0 for this game for quite a while. I think Giroud is going to be more key than expected. I think Griezmann's mm. brilliant and maybe he finds a lot of good spaces as well in this game. But I think Giroud might be the one who just has a way to goal here. Um, I'll go 2-0. I'll go 1-0, but then I'll late one on the counter if Morocco have to push on. 2-0. And that will give us a France-Argentina final. I think it's a final a lot of people would have been very happy to see pre-tournament. It'll give us Croatia-Morocco in the third and fourth place playoff, which you know they met in the first game of the tournament for both sides and uh, played out a rather stinky nil-nil draw, if memory Ooh. serves. So hopefully that game turns out to be, be a bit better. I, I would love nothing more than to see Morocco continue on to the final, but I I do think this is where it, it probably ends. Uh, France have France have that one guy, and you know when all else is equal, and it's not that all else is equal. France have the talent advantage without question, but that guy on the left wing is just is really really special. I wonder if Antoine Griezmann gets the same kind of space he got to operate in against England because he'll have Amrabat and he'll have a much more diligent midfield here. Uh, than, think, than he I did against other, England. I think the other way around, he gets more freedom to do what he wants because of that. Because France are probably going to have so much of the ball that I think he'll just be able to do what he wants in whichever channel he wants and go where he wants to 2v1 anywhere. Possible. It is very, very possible. It should be a good one. And we will be back tomorrow to discuss it. So uh, anything you want to plug for now? Uh, I did a piece last night on Argentina's midfield and on Scaloni's management. So if people have enjoyed part of today's discussion, there's more of it there. I'll stick it in the uh, Discord chat group and if not, Twitter. Cool. Radio, thank you all for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, We'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.